Nine minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. We uh, take a look at the big stories now in the world of business. And uh, joining me to uh, do this is Zuela Kemguni from Benguela Global Fund Managers. Kwabe, good evening to you and welcome, my brother. Good evening, Aya. Good evening to your listeners. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Let's start off here with the story from Amazon. Now, um, they are in talks to acquire... MGM Studios, and I was trying to explain earlier on, uh, you know, this Metro Goldwyn Mayer, uh, that these are the guys who at the end of their movies would have that big lion. Um, and I think that's my yeah. recollection of it. The one that would be roaring there at the end. Um, correct. Yes, and it seems they've fallen on some tough times now with uh, COVID and the impact that that has had on cinemas. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean the, one of the big challenges in the movie industry is that it's a big working capital business, so mm. you spend a lot of money uh, developing a movie, and it might not be a great success. So you might fall behind in terms of uh, cash flow. You spend a lot of money, and then you don't recover it as quickly as you expected. It wasn't wasn't a blockbuster, or actually, it doesn't. You don't recover uh, the money in full at all. So, so I, I think, given that background, I mean, it, it is natural that some of these businesses have come under pressure with the uh, pressure from COVID-19, uh, leading them to uh, maybe not be able to release some of the movies that they intended because for the fear of that, they won't sell as quickly as they expected. Mm. And, and I mean, when you look at this, this is certainly not the first um, sort of merger or acquisition type uh, or takeover that we've seen in uh, the film studio space. I mean, we saw something similar happening with AT&T. Indeed, uh, I think the the competition is heating up in this market, and uh, so uh, I mean, the Amazon was a challenger to Netflix, for example, and they've grown so well that they are almost the same size as uh, Netflix. Now, everybody's trying to get more exciting uh, 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 product on their on on their platform, and. Basically, these are some of the uh, opportunities that are available. Uh, Warner uh, Media, well, there was talk about uh, them being meshed with the Discovery Channel. So, so, so that the, the events are developing around uh, the guys that own the the old uh, movie titles uh, that they could use to uh, plug in the gaps in their programming and versus the guys that are new or the the, the, the online streaming uh, operators. Mm, mm. And, and it's interesting, I mean, this, this particular space, because, you know, when we think about it, I, I mean, a potential play here on the part of Amazon in a very, very vertically integrated manner. Uh, if they do uh, undertake this takeover, they effectively have over 4,000 titles in a new catalog, anything from, you know, James Bond, Legally Blonde and an array of other television series that effectively yep. could find a home in their prime video place and um, I guess uh, effectively allowing them to, to benefit from already having a platform that gets them to the consumer. Yeah, indeed. I mean, they've got uh, about 200 million subscribers. So uh, to keep everybody entertained, you try to cater for all different uh, age groups. And by having four thousand titles i mean you you could essentially plug some holes in your in your programming schedule so it certainly it would be a big coup for them uh, to to basically get the mgm on their platform
and and w- when you try and make sense of this and you compare it i guess to the same play that uh, you know the the likes of uh, AT&T who now are also looking to spin off their Warner Media division uh, which owns the uh, Warner Brothers studios that um, you know they had uh, it seems i guess people are moving in, in a different direction here uh, or am i misreading something here no not necessarily I, I do think that what we are seeing is that it was i mean in any industry there's a stage where there is a land grab and that land grab has to lead to some guys emerging as uh, winners and other guys would be losers and i think we are seeing the guys that had not moved to their own streaming platforms that were whose main focus was that they will always be selling uh, movies and they'll be renting them out. Those guys get caught in the in the in the battle basically for for market share because they don't have their own platform to to distribute and to build it now when uh, you've been hit by COVID would be quite mm. difficult. So I think we are we are seeing that consolidation between the guys that had the front end and the guys that had the back end. So the front end, the guys were uh, producing movies on their own. But, I mean, it's quite a costly exercise. And if you could plug some of the gaps using the titles that are already in existence, and you're also getting the skills that come with uh, with that, that the guys have records of producing uh, quite good movies like Bond movies and the uh, Wizard of Oz. So you basically... Uh, uh, moving towards that direction where there is consolidation in the industry. Mm, mm. Let, let's shift our attention now, uh, you know, as well, like it to the retail sector. MassMart uh, coming out uh, today. We saw this in a sense announcement with a sales update uh, for the 19-week period ending 9 May uh, 2021. I guess giving us a sense uh, right up to, you know, a few weeks ago of uh, how they had performed. And, and I must say a strong showing on the part of Macro, double-digit, sales growth there, um, and uh, also builders coming out with a strong performance. But my big question marks are around Cambridge Foods, um, Zuelake. And I say that because it seems everybody in this market, uh, least of all the likes of Pick and Pay and a few others, are seeing their future growth coming through from the low end of the segment, which I would think for them is is box of superstores. Uh, But the comparable one here is Cambridge Foods, 8.4% lower um, and I guess MassMart saying that's because of lower disposable incomes and unemployment. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, it was a good num good numbers that they report in other sections. This uh, Cambridge division, I think the the effect that they are saying uh, talking about unemployment and lower disposable income, uh, I think that affects everybody in the market. So I, I do think that to some extent. The issue here is their product offering. Mm. I think their product offering is not really in tune with what uh, the market uh, is looking for. And it happens at a time when uh, people are very uh, conscious of what, where and how they spend their money. Mm. And given that, that, that creates a bit of pressure on them. I certainly think it's more of a product uh, offering rather than an issue that... Uh, there is pressure on increased uh, unemployment and disposable income. I think that affects everybody. And the other guys have basically eked out some decent growth, the guys that are focused in those uh, in the lower end of the market. And and when you look at that end of the market, I mean, what is likely to happen there? Because it does seem that every major uh, sort of retailer is trying to get their own sort of low-end type uh, 
uh, uh, you know, uh, or, or discount retailer within their same stable. Um, are, are we likely to see any consolidation in that space or will things continue as they are? And uh, I guess with competition there um, on margins and even, I guess, on cost leadership. I believe I'll share my honest uh, opinion. I think, I don't know if Cambridge does have a place within that market. Mm. Uh, basically, it, it just feels like they don't fit in. If you go into their stores, I mean, it doesn't feel like there is a coherent strategy to attack footfall and basically uh, keep it. Whereas the other guys are basically uh, have some strategies. Uh, and the big strategy is price. Uh, within within that sector, and if you offer price, but it's only on certain on a few essential items that people uh, have to walk in to go buy one item mm. into your store. Again, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. So uh, I do think that the leadership has is more or less been uh, set. So the likes of uh, a, a boxer, they 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 actually playing quite quite strongly in that market and. I do think Cambridge is lacking uh, in terms of product offering in that market. Mm, mm. And, and it's interesting because, I mean, th- this is the same uh, a sector where a lot of fights initially, uh, a lot of people would have thought, uh, would have been fought, uh, I guess, on the kind of uh, distribution networks and whatever value might uh, be uh, realized from that. But it seems even with that, uh, in the case of Cambridge Foods, uh, the issue might not necessarily be with the price, but what is actually on offer. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the discount, the ability to bulk up your purchases from uh, suppliers can only take you so far. So you can offer a competitive price to a certain extent, but it's actually understanding the customers, like the mm. intricate needs of those customers. It's only through that that you are then able to offer them a combination of products that keeps them in your stores. And I think, I, I certainly think I've been to a few Cambridge stores and, and I didn't get the sense that yeah. the, 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 the product offering is talking to each other mm. for the kind of market that, that, that they, they want to play in. Sure, sure. I would have expected game, uh, part of the stable as well, to, to blow the lights out. I mean, I, th- I would have thought people are spending a lot more time at home, so probably investing in a smart TV and tech, um, you know, and in some of the other things that game sells. And the, I, I realize now they also sell uh, groceries as well and uh, probably on relatively better prices than some of the other, uh, uh, um, you know, retailers as well. But it seems here uh, that uh, that didn't materialize. Uh, and uh, some of the auto- sales coming in at 5.6 billion rand, uh, 3.3% lower uh, than the same period uh, in the preceding year. What do you make of uh, what's been happening at that entity? Yeah, I mean, I think games challenge is, you know, they say in the in the retail business, you have to offer a product convenience or price. And I think games challenge, if you look at where their stores are located, most of them are still located in the old, um, where we used to, and, and you and I would have taken a taxi to go to town to go see, to go buy products in town and then come back. And what has happened is over time, the landscape has changed uh, into where there are actually retail uh, centers within the townships. Uh, so so, so the, the retail sales have moved into those areas. If you look at where game often does well, it's 
in the rural uh, towns where there aren't a lot of um, uh, uh, big shopping centers available within the markets where they, they, they aim to save. So I think the big challenge for them is more about location of uh, the stores. If they were able to migrate some of their stores uh, into the, the, the market that they want to save, I think they might actually do a little better from that perspective. But I doubt that that is something that they are focusing on at this stage. Mm, mm. Let's shift away now to the Monetary Policy Committee. Um, they seem to have a bit of uh, technical glitches in uh, broadcasting that on the television platforms this afternoon. But um, in line with a lot of expectations, keeping rates um, you know, unchanged, and I think you know, many of us, uh, you know, I participated in one survey, and... Uh, you know, I'd made it clear there that expected rates to be unchanged, but was hoping that at least the discussion uh, would have uh, spoken about uh, a maybe 50 basis point cut. Lesetja Khanyakho made it clear that uh, they didn't even have that conversation. They did, although, have a conversation about potentially increasing rates and when they would do that. Yeah, that's correct. I, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't expect that they would cut. I think uh, I would love for them to cut, to, mm. to be quite honest. But I, I do think that... Um, what most emerging markets are caught in is a wait-and-see game on where the next uh, move the, of the U.S. Uh, rate is going to be. Because they, if they cut rates now, it would make the local uh, uh, short, short rates less attractive than uh, other markets, at least relative to where they were before. And that might actually uh, roil their currencies in the short term. So, so I think they're trying to find that, that, that balance because if the currency blows out or not even blow out, but if the currency moves higher, when consumption is coming back, you might actually have like quite a meaningful increase in inflation. So, so I think they're trying to find that balance. Uh, and I do think that the, the next move would probably be upward but it's a question of when when does that happen mm, mm. And, and 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 when you look i guess at their view on inflationary expectations i mean the last meeting they had said they expect uh, they have a very balanced outlook on that and now coming out and saying they do expect that inflation will sort of tick upwards towards the upper band of that three to six percent range um and 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 in your view what, what is driving that i mean aside from the fuel price uh, what drives their expectation that you know, price conditions in the South African economy are on an upward trend uh, when everybody's talking about a third wave? Yeah, I think that there is a big imbalance where, uh, and we talk about it often, where you find that your aggregate demand uh, has been preserved to some extent through the uh, stimulus, economic uh, uh, stimulus. Uh, so interest rates, which is the monetary side, and also the fiscal stimulation where there were social grants and all those things. So, so you find that a, a fair amount of your consumption was preserved, but your supply side was not actually uh, uh, covered because companies had to shut down. Many of them are starting to try and get back to uh, production. And that creates an imbalance in demand. And that, that is an environment in which you could find that uh, uh, price increases get justified easily and the guys can, can basically push those price increases because mm. you're importing stuff uh, which puts pressure on your currency because you have to sell rent and buy uh, foreign currency.
So, so that creates quite an imbalance. So you've got a, an external pressure on the currency. You're getting also uh, the consumption that is that hasn't fallen to the same extent as uh, production, local production, and that basically creates uh, pressure on inflation. Mm. So I do think that, that that is a theme that doesn't only affect South Africa, it also affects um, uh, I mean, countries like the U.S. If you look at their deficit relative to China, it has widened since the lockdown, uh, despite the fact that they were thinking that they were going to cut their uh, imports from China. Mm, mm. Last story here before I let you go, Kwabe. Uh, I found the story quite interesting. It's a story out of Kenya um, from the what in Kenya is ESCOM, um, you know, KenGen. And, you know, they, I guess a few years ago, were, you know, partially privatized by uh, the government. And uh, effectively now the government owns still a considerable amount of it. So I'd still say it's an SOE. Uh, but the interesting thing, I guess, is where their investments have been in the last few years or so. And they're now in the market uh, looking for more capital to invest in geothermal projects around the horn of the continent. Um, I've heard they've got projects in Djibouti, Ethiopia, uh, and even in Kenya. Uh, of course, much smaller base than ESCOM. I mean, ESCOM is a major player, I think the largest uh, installed capacity across the continent. Uh, but quite interesting that uh, I guess now a bulk of the energy that they produce is coming from geothermal and other renewable sources. Yeah, I, th- I think it's quite an interesting uh, uh, shift that they've made and uh, I think quite a positive one as well. Uh, in the, the geothermal uh, energy is a renewable uh, energy. I mean, for, for the benefit of your listeners, mm. basically they pump uh, water down into a well that, that is basically heated by the nature, by the, by, by the Earth's crust. And basically, they pump out steam on the other side. The steam turns the turbines, and they use that to produce electricity. And that that is something that 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 is quite uh, renewable, and uh, you don't burn coal. So, mm. so it, it's quite a, a a fantastic thing. So they're looking to add four new plants uh, that they would basically also look for public uh, private partnerships in, but. I think that the, the big thing is that they, they seem to be moving in the direction where they could cover quite a significant component of China of um, Kenya's uh, uh, electricity output through uh, the geothermal electricity generation. Mm, mm. And, 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 and this, I mean, I guess capital raise on their end, um, ostensibly, you know, to extend the, uh, the megawatts of installed capacity that they have for some of their major the- geothermal projects. Uh, it probably does position them, and uh, as many other you know, entities have started to see Kenya and the East African region, as uh, another of the manufacturing hubs across our continent. I mean, you know, I guess the primary thing you need to manufacture anything or even in- to process or beneficiate anything is energy. Correct. I, I, I do think that, I mean, it, it makes them competitive uh, in terms of, because uh, uh, we've gone from a point where electricity stability is being priced ahead of uh, the price. So uh, in the past, we'd worry about price. At the moment, we're just uh, grateful that we have electricity. So so I think having a stable grid that is uh, 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 supplied geothermally is quite an attractive uh, proposition to make to not only to investors but to also 
business people who may want to set up business in, in Kenya because the, the energy is renewable. You don't have to worry about the uh, blackout. So, so I certainly think that it is, it is quite a competitive proposition, certainly uh, relative to us uh, as South Africa. Mm, mm. Kwabe, as always, my brother, a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you. Zulakim Guni, there, uh, Chief Investment Officer and founder at Benguela Global Fund Managers, uh, helping us to take stock and make sense, of course, uh, of uh, what's been happening in the world of money this evening. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, it's our Thought Leader Thursday segment, part two with advocate Tembega Ngai Tobi.